Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Ribbon. This podcast is brought to you by Pete's Car Smart Kia. These guys are not here just to sell you a car, but they believe in building relationships with their customers and the community. Visit their website at petescarsmartkia.com and be sure to follow them on their social media platforms as well. Before we get to this week's episode of Beyond the Ribbon, we want to take a minute and let you know about a free PSA that's the blood draw guys screening for prostate cancer. Uh, it's happening this Thursday, September the 29th at Pondacetta Brewing, 7500 Southwest 45th from 5.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. Now, we've partnered with Pints for Prostates and Emerald Urology and Pondacetta to make this happen. So, guys, age 45 to 75, ladies, you have a man in your life or know someone who is aged 45 to 75, get to Pondacetta Brewing from 5.30 to 8 p.m. Sometime during that time, a free blood draw to check in, uh, your PSA levels, as well as we're going to buy you a free pint of beer. So win-win deal. So again, thanks to Pints for Prostates. Thanks to Emerald Urology and Pondacetta uh, for doing this. 7500 Southwest 45th Avenue. Uh, men aged 45 to 75 between 5.30 p.m. and 8 p.m. Again, blood test only and a free pint of beer. Now, Let's get to this week's episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Welcome to this week's episode of Beyond the Ribbon. My name is Ryan Parnell, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host and oncology nurse, Pam McMillan. Ryan, we're back for another episode. Yes, Pam, and I think this is going to be a very interesting and educational episode. You know, our survivors suffer from so many side effects of treatment, Um it's, it has to be difficult for them, but you know, education is important and we like to educate our people. And so um, what better way than through this podcast, than we can educate them about heart health, right? That's right. Um, you know, uh, gosh, how many times have we said, and it's come up in discussions that, you know, the medicines and the therapies that are used to treat cancer uh, usually do their job, but they also do other jobs unintentionally. Yes, you know, um, a survivor told me the other day, the doctors are really good at keeping you alive, but the side effects sometimes are really difficult to manage, and um, they don't always know the full extent of what the side effects are going to be, so it's got to be hard for them. That's right, and that's why we're here. We're here to help with those, right? We're here to overcome some of those, no matter what those side effects may be. As we've talked about all along, uh, our plan here at the Survivorship Center is we hope to be able to take uh, a survivor when they're finished with treatment and return them back to their precancerous state. And so a lot of that takes place during treatment, right? And then, of course, after treatment. So let's just jump right in, Pam. I'm really excited because... Um, you know, my background, of course, that we've talked about before is, is in was in pharmaceutical sales. And we always dealt with studies and looked at research and things like that. And so uh, when we came across this very interesting study, I was super excited that um, the lead investigator said, yes, we'll do it. Let's let's get on and, and do a podcast. So uh, we are very, very lucky to have uh, Dr. Roberta Florida, Florido, excuse me, specializes in heart failure mechanical circulatory support and heart transplant. So you're probably saying, why do you have a cardiologist on here? And we'll get to that, right, Pam? Right. Uh, she received her medical degree in Rio de Janeiro and completed an internal medicine residency at Boston University Medical Center. She's also completed fellowships in cardiology and advanced heart failure and transplant cardiology at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. She's board certified by the American Board of Internal Medicine and in General Internal Medicine and Cardiovascular Disease and has published numerous 
studies, which one of which we're going to jump in today. Dr. Florido, how are you? I am good. Thank you very much for having me here today. I'm super excited. Well, we are too. And, um, you know, in, in looking at uh, clinical studies and trials and things like that, sometimes it is really hard to process and understand. And so uh, with jumping in and looking at this study, um, there's this was very easy to understand because, uh, you know, it, it kind of comes from a standpoint of what happens to the cardiovascular system to cancer survivors after their treatment happens. So uh, this was just recently published in July of this year in the Journal of American College of Cardiology. And the title, I'll, I'll say the title and then I'll turn it over to you, is Cardiovascular Disease Risk Among Cancer Survivors. It is the Atherosclerosis Risk in Communities Study, the ARIC study. What led you guys to, to go down this path and look at this? Yeah. Um, so there's been some um, data that recently has suggested that cancer survivors may have an increased risk of cardiovascular disease. When you look at some clinical trials of cancer therapies, um, there's been mentions of adverse effects of cancer therapies on the cardiovascular system. There are some studies that look at cause of death in cancer survivors and show that for some cancer survivors, cardiovascular disease is now the leading cause of death, but there hadn't been a rigorous prospective study that looked at the risk of cardiovascular disease in this population and compare that risk to the risk in persons who had not had cancer. And so that was the main goal of the study, just to look and see what is the risk of cardiovascular disease in, in an overall, like a broad population of cancer survivors, and how does that compare to the risk in persons who didn't have cancer? Um, so we used, you mentioned the ERIC study, um, which is a, it was a very nice resource. Uh, this is a cohort, community-based cohort study. So those were participants that were recruited from four communities in the U.S., um, like normal people that enrolled in the study and have been followed since 1987 up to this day. And throughout all those years, they have um, come for follow-up visits and have had, like, they've been pretty much turned upside down. They had their, they were measured, they had their weights, they had blood work done, they reported on medications that they were taken, and they reported on any interim events like hospitalizations or any conditions that they were diagnosed with. The primary intent of this study when it was established was to study cardiovascular disease, the risk factors and the natural history of cardiovascular disease. And then more recently, we obtained data on cancer events in the same population. So it became a very nice resource um, from a, a community-based population where we had where we now had information on cancer events as well as cardiovascular disease and very detailed information on cardiovascular disease risk factors. So in this study, did y'all um, only focus on breast or was it other diseases, other cancers? No, so we um, took pretty much any primary invasive 
cancer. So excluding non-melanoma skin cancer, any other primary invasive cancer. So we have survivors of various malignancies, uh, breast and prostate were some of the mo most common cancers, but we also have lung, colorectal, leukemias, lymphomas, bladder, pretty much any type of cancer in this population. So basically the general public. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's, I don't know any other better way to say that, you know, and that's, that's very unique because I know some of our listeners are probably saying y'all covered this already once before, you know, in a podcast that we did with Dr. Brabham, uh, who is a cardiologist here locally. And, but it was primarily focusing on the cardiotoxicities uh, as a result of um, chemotherapy on breast cancer patients. Um, but this is looking at all cancers and uh, a good mix of everything. I think you said it was over 12,000 patients. Yes. Which so is, this is a, sorry, it's huge. Yeah, this is a really nice, I think, representative sample of the US population. Um, and so there are survivors of various cancers. Um, it's interesting that you talk about the cardiac toxicities of cancer therapies which are a very important part of this story, but not the entire story. Mm -hmm. um, so we think there are various things that likely contribute to an increased risk of cardiac disease in cancer survivors, starting from before cancer is diagnosed. So for example, there are some risk factors that may predispose a person to having cancer that also predispose that person to having cardiac disease. The easiest one is smoking. If you smoke, you have a higher risk of having lung cancer, but you also have a higher risk of having cardiac disease. Yes. Right. Go hand in hand. That is very interesting. Um, now for our listeners who may be going, okay, what is entail what it's entailed when you say cardiovascular disease? Can we can we drop that down one level for them and let's just say kind of what that looks like? Yeah, so we looked at almost any type of cardiac disease. So um, a heart attack, heart failure, stroke, um, and we looked at pretty comprehensive definitions of those. That was the main, so the main finding of the study was that cancer survivors had a higher risk of having cardiac disease than persons without prior cancer. After we found that, we then said, well, let's try to tease out and see, do, are they at increased risk for having a heart attack or heart failure or an arrhythmia, et cetera. So when we looked at the specific types of heart disease, we found a significant increase in the risk of something called heart failure. We also found a mild increase in the risk of stroke. And overall, there wasn't a significant increase in the risk of what we call atherosclerotic disease, which is a heart attack, for example. Now, when you say there's a significant risk versus non-significant, can we, can we talk about those numbers? Can we talk about what percentage? Cause I think they're going to, someone's thinking I'm in, in my mind, I'm like, okay, what is significant? Uh, yeah. So, so overall we found that cancer survivors had 42% higher risk of having heart disease than persons without prior cancer and 59% higher risk of having heart failure. 
those are pretty impressive numbers. Yeah, I would say that's that's significant. Yeah. Um, as a survivor, as they're listening, um, they might be like, oh my gosh. So what can they do to help prevent that? Yeah, that's a very good question. So as I said, I think it actually starts before the cancer diagnosis with um, the identification of the, and the management of those shared risk factors. And there are many that we know of, and I think there are more that we are learning about, some including things like tobacco use, um, excessive weight, um, lack of physical activity, diets that are poor in vegetables and fruits, um, and even things like diabetes. We also know that if you go into cancer treatment with these risk factors being poorly controlled, so with very high blood pressures or with diabetes that is not well managed, you have a higher risk of having cardiac problems related to the cancer therapies. You also have a higher risk of dying Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, then during cancer therapy, um, and I think there's been a little bit more awareness of that, and is specifically for some cancer treatments, um, and in high-risk patients, there um, should be monitoring of cardiac function to identify um, heart damage, ideally early on, so that you can treat that and hopefully prevent more damage. And then in long-term survivors, again, it's going back to those key risk factors. We know that patients that receive chemotherapy um, have a higher chance of gaining weight post-chemotherapy. We know that patients have a lot of fatigue and tend to decrease their levels of physical activity. And so going back and trying to engage in routine physical activity, trying to maintain a healthy weight and a healthy diet seeing your primary care provider or a cardiologist for the management of your blood pressure, your sugar, um, your uh, cholesterol. And then in some populations, um, they may need some things like routine cardiac testing for screening of actual cardiac disease. For patients that receive therapies that can have toxicities to their heart, they may need to have lifelong monitoring of the heart function. And the goal of that would be to identify any damage to their hearts early on and start medications or other therapies to prevent progression of that. Yeah. Is there, so what I'm hearing is there's no time like the present, whatever the present time is. If you're in treatment to work on those things, if you're out of treatment, to work on those things as well. Absolutely. You should start right now as early as possible, whether you are, whether you you have not had cancer, um, we are all at risk for it, you know, God forbid, but it can happen if you are in treatment and definitely if you are a survivor. You know, Ryan, oftentimes whenever I talk to survivors, um, you know, I'm really I really encourage them to get involved here at the center. And I think it's um, important that they get active, not just for my peace of mind, but also for their heart. Yes. One thing too, uh, Pam, that Dr. Florido just brought up is, you know, talking with your provider, talking with your, your family practice, your internal medicine, whatever your primary care physician is, but also maybe that cardiologist, you know, 
you guys listening, we've talked about this before, how important the treatment summary and care plan is that Pam does when you're finished with your treatment. That is something that is, is um, available to you. It's given to you. It's done free. Everything here is free, but it's given to you. And that's something, Dr. Florido, wouldn't you say that would be very important to take with your to your cardiologist appointment and say, here's my cancer history. And in that document, then you're going to be able to look at that and say, oh, you had this kind of chemo, you had that kind of chemo, you had this much radiation. And where was the radiation? Was it to the chest? You know, could the heart have received some uh, bleed over radiation uh, and things like that? As we all know, right, oncologists and especially radiation oncologists do everything they can to spare the rest of your body from the issues that happen from chemo. But that document right there can make a world of difference and maybe even speed the process along in getting involved in some sort of treatment or whatever needs to happen at the cardiologist. Absolutely. That sounds like a key document and a very important one. And I should say that patients should advocate for themselves. Um, I think there is increasing awareness that cancer survivors are a high risk population for developing cardiovascular disease. But not all providers know it or are fully aware of that. Um, I think there is a lot of misconception um, that if you are diagnosed with cancer, you're going to die from cancer, which is, is not true. And so a lot of attention is given to uh, cancer surveillance, surveillance of recurrence, um, but not to other problems like cardiovascular disease. And so... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, that's okay. I was just going to say that patients being aware that they are a high-risk population, they can mention to their providers and, and advocate for themselves. So we have all kinds of guidelines. Um, we have for breast screenings, colorectal screenings, and skin screenings. Is there recommended screenings for um, heart? Like guidelines, when do you need to start seeing a cardiologist? Yeah, that's a very good question. So there are some consensus documents and there are some recommendations. Um, there's got to be more studies so that we can expand on those. Um, there are some data for survivors of, or I should say there's more data for survivors of childhood and early adult cancers. I think in this population, there is a few documents that recommend screening with heart ultrasounds um, every so often, depending on the therapies you received. Um, for adult patients, there are some documents that outline who is considered the high-risk patient for the development of cardiovascular disease, and that's based on some underlying risk factors, like I mentioned, the presence of things like diabetes, hypertension, um, their age, and the therapies they received, whether they received chemotherapy that contains anthracyclines, for example, which um, can be toxic to the heart, the dose of, of chemotherapy they received, because some of those agents cause cardiac toxicity in a dose-dependent way, meaning if you received higher doses, you have a higher risk whether you receive chest radiation, like you, meant, like you mentioned, um, and the dose that actually reached the heart, the dose of radiation that reached the heart. Um, and then depending on whether you're considered a high-risk person or not, 
there is some guidance for monitoring during therapy and immediately after, but not a lot for the long-term survivor. I think that's probably one of those things where if I was a survivor, um, as, as we've talked about, and as you just mentioned, um, advocating for yourself, you know, that's a question to ask your physician, to ask your, your primary care physician, to ask your oncologist. And even if you feel like you are not getting the right answers is make an appointment with a cardiologist you know, and, 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 and go in and ask and, and tell them the information and say, basically, here's who I am. <laughs> here's what I've been through. You know, what should I be doing? Um, staying on top of that kind of stuff is really important that you do that because um, your physicians and especially your oncologist, once they, once you're finished with treatment, they're, they're treating, you know, dozens of other patients, just like you, were previously. So I think um, that's just one of those things just to ask about it. And if you don't get the right answer, ask again. And if you don't get the right answer, ask again, you know, to find out if that's what you need to be doing and, and, and get the answers that um, can help you navigate this world. Because in, in the world of cardiology, right, there's a lot of go- a lot going on, not so much necessarily the um, follow-up and the surveillance. I mean, there's a lot of surveillance, but it's more heart disease. It's not like, well, you had this. So, you know, oncology, because it's not, it's not a prevalent discussion is what I understand. Yes. Um, what I will say is that I think there is increasing awareness, both in the oncology community, as well as in the cardiology community. Um, there is actually a should say relatively new area in cardiology called cardio-oncology, where cardiologists are now specializing in the care of cancer patients. And that is, it's comprehensive, right? It starts, as I said, before cancer treatment, sometimes for risk stratification, screening of underlying cardiovascular disease, assessment of the risk of the cardiovascular risk before the patient receives uh, certain types of therapy that could affect the heart during cancer therapy, as well as for the long-term survivor. And so there are cardiologists that are specializing in this patient population. Um, But even for those centers where there isn't a cardio-oncology group, I think there is increasing awareness in the cardiovascular community and the cardiology community um, about cancer survivors being a high-risk population. And that is starting to be highlighted in our guidelines as well. For example, the most recent update of the heart failure guidelines, um, they outlined that patients who received certain types of chemotherapy are at high risk for the development of heart failure. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 moving over into that area. I mean, I, I would venture to say you guys do have a, a robust pop, uh, program there at Johns Hopkins of cardio and le- probably leading the way for cardio oncology. We do have a program here um, with um, it's me and one of my colleagues and uh, Tala Altaleb and Kim Cuomo. And we um we do see patients, as I said, in the entire spectrum of care um, from um, long-term survivors to those who were just recently diagnosed with cancer. Um, 
and it's it's a very rewarding uh, program. So in this study, was there any big surprises for you? I wouldn't say big surprises. I think we were quite impressed with the risk associations, like a 42% increase in the risk of cardiovascular diseases is a very, very significant increase in risk. Um, the other thing is that we, so we did what we call um, two adjustment models. So first we just look and said, you know, adjusting for age and some basic demographics, what is the increase, what is the association of cancer survivorship with cardiovascular disease? And we found this, there was a 42% increase in risk of cardiovascular disease among cancer survivors compared to persons without prior cancer. And then we said, what if we account for some of those risk factors like hypertension, diabetes, excess weight? Um, and we found some attenuation of this risk, but not entirely. So we found that there was still a 37% increase in the risk of cardiovascular disease in this population. So from that, we concluded that there's something else. It's not just those shared risk factors that are perhaps more common in patients uh, who had cancer. There's gotta be something else that is increasing the risk of cardiovascular disease in this population. Um, I think that was surprising. I think I expected to see a greater contribution of those shared risk factors. Mm -hmm. um, but as you said, we know there are other things in this population. We know that several cancer therapies can affect the heart and they, are li and they likely play a big role here. There is also now a lot of attention on um, potentially a, a shared shared mechanisms between cancer and cardiovascular disease. So some genetic predisposition, for example, mm -hmm. to both cancer and cardiovascular disease. So those are other potential factors. It just goes to show, Pam, you cannot get away from your family history. <laughs> your genes are your genes, right? That's yeah. right. That's right. Um, you know, and, and, it, and it, it is so interesting, too, that with the at the rate that um, genetics and genetic testing is is evolving, I mean, there is probably no question we'll have soon, you know, um, some way to check and test and a definitive answer of if you have this, then you are genetically predisposed to cardiovascular disease, but also cancer, like you were saying. So um, a lot of that is right. Stay tuned in terms of genetics. And yeah. Not only genetics, I'm hoping that in the future we're going to have more risk stratification tools, um, and it's specifically for cancer survivors. You know, can we have a lot of calculators to estimate the risk of cardiovascular disease in the overall population? And that helps us um, with some preventative therapies, like, for example, when to start medications for the cholesterol. But we don't have a tool that is specific to cancer survivors to say, who really is at increased risk for cardiovascular disease? How aggressive should we be with managing their risk factors or starting medications? And we know that those over, like those general 
um, calculators, they don't quite apply to cancer survivors because there are these other very specific risk factors in this population, like the therapies that they received that are, that are not taken into account in those, in those calculators. So hopefully in the future, we're going to have uh, more risk stratification tools for cancer survivors. Always learning. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I, I think here, here's the, a couple of takeaways, right, Pam? Um, we always look at takeaways. And one of the big takeaways of this is um, it may not be just solely because you had cancer um, that you have this increased risk of cardiovascular disease. However, it certainly doesn't help. And so the best thing that you, that you can do is take care of yourself. And one of the things I wanted to highlight, uh, as you hit on, uh, Dr. Florida, is is this is smoking. Um, you know, we have a, a program within our foundation um, called Tobacco Free Amarillo. And if you need help quitting smoking, uh, you need to call the center and simply ask for information about Tobacco Free Amarillo. You can qualify for free uh, classes. Well, I shouldn't say qualify. You do have access to free classes. And by going to those classes, then you have access to free quit aids. Uh, and a quit aid is the lozenge, uh, patches, or gum. Um, and then it's, it's taught by um, certified tobacco treatment um, specialists who understand how to help you quit. Um, and so I would encourage, you know, um, if you if you smoke, I would encourage you to uh, really take that to heart. No pun intended, but get involved with tobacco free Amarillo and get in those classes, um, get the quit aids to help you quit. Um, that's one of the greatest things I think we all know. That's one of the greatest things you can do to reduce your cancer risk. And in this case, not only reduce your cancer risk, but reduce your cardiovascular risk. Right. But also, you know, she mentioned a diet and exercise, and we have great programs here at the center for that as well. And make sure that you join us um, for our cancer nutrition class once a month. Also, if you have questions about diet, um, we have a Facebook Live once a month, which is you can ask any question. And then we have all the exercise classes. And Ryan, how much are they? It is entirely free, Pam. There is no charge whatsoever for this. And I tell you, um, it, it is not one of those things. Dr. Florido, I want to make sure you know, our classes, it, they are not here to teach them and get them ready to run a marathon and, and, and do those kinds of things. And we talk about that often, but it's basically taking you as a survivor where you are. If you're in the middle of treatment and you have, you know, that second day after chemo is terrible, Maybe on that second day, um, maybe you come to class and you participate in a chair. Uh, maybe, you know, you, you, you do one less lap on those days when it's rough. On your good days, you're, you're doing what you can do. And just being active at whatever level you can be at, because that's what's most important. I think this study outlines that as well. And uh, yeah, for you listeners, it is entirely free. So I thank you, Dr. Florido, for joining us and, and sharing with our listeners and really, in a way, Pam, validating what we do here for our survivors. Yes, most definitely. Is there anything else that you would like to um, leave with our listeners? No, I wanted to congratulate you again on your program. This is really um, exciting and should serve as a model for the rest of the country. 
Um, I think what you said, Ryan, was spot on. Um, any activity is good for you and good for your heart. This has been very well established. Um, anything, just the less sitting you do, the better it is for your overall health and for your heart. Um, and so do what you can um, one day at a time. Um, that's key. You know, that reminds me of the quote um, from Dr. Brabham, 10% of something is better than 10% of nothing. So do something. And um, we have our last segment, Pete's Powerful Moment, and we are sponsored by Smart Kia. Do you have a powerful moment that you could share with us? Gosh, I have so many. Um, each patient's story is a very unique one, and there have been so many that have touched me along the way. Um, I think I can share a couple, um, right when I started the cardio-oncology practice here, I remember seeing a very young woman who was diagnosed with breast cancer while breastfeeding her son, which you can imagine how devastating that was. Um, and then to complicate things while she was receiving chemotherapy, she had a cardiac complication from it and they had to interrupt therapy, um, and thought she was not going to be able to complete um, the course of treatment. But fortunately, she got very good care, um, not here initially, and um, but was put on good medications to help recover her heart and protect her heart going forward and was able to resume therapy and then go into remission from her cancer and be with her son. Um, just recently, we saw a young patient who was diagnosed with diabetes and lymphoma at the same time and then had a heart study prior to initiation of chemotherapy that then found that he had a weak heart. Can you imagine that? Um, but, you know, this was pretty devastating for him and a, a lot of medical diagnosis, but we were able to modify his cancer therapy so that his heart would be protected from any potential um, cardiac toxicities. Um, and so he could complete treatment without major side effects. Um, I think beyond the patient stories, the, it, it's very powerful when you see changes in, in public health and practice and guidelines that can affect many, many lives um, and many patients like these ones that I, that I shared with you. So that's ultimately the goal, to raise awareness about the risk of cardiovascular disease in cancer survivors and to inform practice broadly so that many lives can be touched. Yes. Those are awesome. Thank you so much for what you do for cancer survivors. Um, it's important and um, we appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I tell you, I feel like Pam, we, we need to in incorporate these percentages and to some of our classes, you know, when you're talking with folks and letting them know the importance of being active and being engaged um, it's not just because Pam says, it's not just because it's in some book, um, you know, or some manual, it's actually been proven and it's been proven that, um, I like the way you said it, Dr. Florido, any activity is good for you and it's good for your heart. I mean, that's, you know, that, that just yeah. really, that, that, that puts a tight bow on it on top and really, um, makes it very plain and simple to understand. And so again, thank you for sharing that. To our listeners, you know, uh, take this and really put it to practice. I think that's the homework for, for this week on this episode, Pam, is to really think about 
where and how you can be um, as active as you can be, uh, you know, and try the classes, try our activities. We always joke about it, that it's like a buffet. And if, if you look on there and you think, oh, there's no way I'm doing, I can't, I can't stand water, even though it's four feet tall, four feet deep, I can't stand water. I'm not about to get in the water. Uh, then water exercise is not for you, but that's why we have tons of other things to choose from. There's a lot there. And then I would like to also tell our listeners too, if you have learned some things through this podcast and feel like you want to make a monetary contribution to help continue what we do for our local cancer survivors, uh, simply go to our website, the number 24survivorship.org slash donate. Uh, you can make a monetary donation on there. But while you're on that, on our website, you can also find our monthly calendar, Pam, and that's where they're going to be able to see all the things that go on. Yes. Make sure you check it out before uh, all the classes get full. We don't want you to miss out on anything. Yeah. Usually our fun classes, right? Our, our non-group activity classes have a cap on it because of limit of space. So make sure that you check those at the, towards the end of the month, first of the month, and then make sure you join us here next week for another great episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Make sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and follow us on social media for news and updates. If you'd like more information about the 24 Hours in the Canyon Cancer Survivorship Center, please visit our website, 24survivorship.org. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week.